Welcome to winter. This is the Red-Headed Preacher, Richard Lanford of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. I'm the pastor of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, the first congregation established in Skokie back in 1867. And we're still there at Oakton Street and Laramie Avenue. This Sunday, February 21st, is the first Sunday in Lent. And the scriptures are from Genesis 9, 1 Peter 3, and Mark 1. The sermon is called, About That Rainbow, dot, dot, dot. But, so I key on the Genesis passage, uh, some different takes on that. And I hope you enjoy it. And the lector is Andre Glockner, who has been a lay leader in our congregation for many years. And I'm grateful for you tuning in. And uh, I, as I said before, I hope you are built up in uh, how you think about God and God's heart and mind and peace and nonviolence. Here we go. Our Old Testament lesson is Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. The journey of Noah and his family on the ark during the flood and the rainfall of 40 days and nights. This has ended and God has been addressing them. This is the last section of that. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am established my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, domestic animals, and every animal on the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to the, destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living thing of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This ends the reading from Genesis. Our second reading is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. Peter writes to a church under their undergoing persecution. He reminds them of Christ's suffering for their sake and then goes on to relate it to Noah and baptism. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous, righteousness to God, but made alive in the and made a proclamation times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah 
during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which is prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who had gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This ends the reading from 1 Peter. The gospel reading for the first Sunday in Lent is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Some of this reading we heard last month. Mark has already introduced John the Baptist and presented him as a fulfillment of prophecy. John has told his listeners that one was coming after him who was much greater than John and who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Our story picks up after that. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. Here ends our reading of the gospel lesson and our scriptures readings for this morning service. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word. Several years ago, on vacation up in Spooner, my sister Pam and I rode inner tubes down the mighty Namakagan River. Near the end of the hours-long float, it rained, and then the sun came up. Look, as we got to the landing beach, there was a double rainbow. It was a little faint, but it was cool all the same. How often do you see a double rainbow? So special it is that Katy Perry recorded a song with that title about someone in her life who is that unique and evocative as she sings a double rainbow is hard to find. Beth and I saw a regular rainbow from our back steps after a rain last June. So I grabbed my phone and took a couple pictures of it. Why are rainbows such a deal? Maybe to you, they're not. I think most of us get a little excited about them. Is it because we do not see them very often? Sure. They are pretty to see. True. But is it possible that our attraction to them also goes back, way back, to something primeval. For the rainbow is a sign of the first covenant between God and us, made completely by God as a gift to humankind and the creation for all time. I think, and I'm speaking for myself, too, that this covenant and its rainbow get short shrift when people talk about the Bible and covenants. We are much more familiar with 
Moses at Sinai with the Mosaic covenant of the law. And during Advent, some of our scriptures often have to do with what we call the Davidic covenant. That's the one where the Lord has promised to David that there will always be one of his line on the throne of Israel. This pledge was repeated by prophets over the years, and after the exile, the idea of a son of David and delivering Messiah arose and got combined in some belief systems. Then, of course, Christians have the new covenant, as Jesus instituted at the Last Supper. But Noah and the ark? <coughs> and today, while we sit here continuing to wonder about the virus, vaccine availability, and mutations, along with lots of poverty and hunger, joblessness, carjackings, climate change, divisions within the world and nation, what does it matter? Well, it matters to me if this story were very different, leaving us with the God of the deists, a God who is not invested in nor intervened in any way in our lives and histories. Then, I think we are darn near hopeless and left to our human race's own very fallible and sometimes very wicked ways. How I approach life in those challenges, and I bet how you approach your lives while going through these challenges, is greatly shaped by what we believe about God, God's heart, and mind. If I do not believe that God cares, it's maybe harder for me to care for very long and to long sense a call from God to lift others up in Jesus' name. I suggest that we love God because God first loved us. As 1 John teaches us, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If I believe what if I believe God wants what is good for this world, shalom, and good for God's creation, including you and me, that makes a difference in how I live my life without even thinking about it. It's so basic. And I imagine you are a kindred spirit. So it does matter, this rainbow story and the covenant God made. It speaks to our fundamentals and can take us very far indeed. Well, we know the pre-story that came before what Andre read. The world was so freaking unrighteous, so horrible and sinful over a prolonged period of time that God, in God's hurt, sorrow, anger, and abandonment, decides to end it all by sending a flood of waters and a downpour of rain, the deluge. But, and this is the gospel part, if you will, God cannot quite do that. Noah is righteous, notable as the only one listed. Let's spare him and his family. So the ark is built, and all the families of animals and of Noah, except, of course, the unicorn, get inside, and they ride it out. 
You can go to different myths of the ancient Near East in their literature, and you will find other stories of a great flood and rain, just not as well told as this one. So there is solid evidence, not just in the scriptures of Judaism, that this really happened. And after the devastation was total, while the waters swelled still on the earth, Genesis 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah. God dialed down the wind and the way or waters to bring them to a close, and slowly, slowly, the earth appeared. And it began to dry out. And then it began to show green growth. And the waters receded even more. And the ark was able to completely land and it was emptied. And upon smelling the aroma of Noah's burnt offerings, the Bible says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature. Professor Walter Brueggemann had an idea of what was going on way back when. He says it started back verse 1 of chapter 8, when God remembered Noah. He comments, quote, the flood has affected no change in humankind, but it has affected an irreversible change in God, who now will approach his creation with an unlimited patience and forbearance. This narrative traces a new decision on the part of God. Now the commitment is intensified. For the first time, it is marked by grief, hurt of betrayal. It is now clear that such a commitment on God's part is costly. The God-world relation is not simply that of a strong God and a needy world. Now it is, he says, a tortured relation between a grieved God and a resistant world. And of the two, he says, the real changes are in God. There is a new resolution in the heart of God to stay with his creation. God said, never again. That's a sermon right there. That matters, doesn't it? To quote Professor B again, God has made a decision about the grief and trouble in his own heart. And it is on the basis of God's never again that the rainbow sign is established, that despite the grief and the hurt, there will be a never again on humankind and the creation. Gerhard von Rod, not a name you hear every Sunday morning, he was an Old Testament giant in the generation before Walter Brueggemann. Of this passage, he wrote both of God's heart and the rainbow. He tells us, the Hebrew word that we translate rainbow, keshet, usually means in the Old Testament, the bow of war. The beauty of the ancient conception thus becomes apparent. 
God shows the world that God has put aside his bow. Man knows of the blessing of this new gracious relationship and the stability of the orders of nature, i.e., first of all, in the sphere of the impersonal elements only. End quote. Well, because God remembered Noah and promised never again, we have a promise from God to all creation. God's bow is put to rest. The promise of God, symbolized by this rainbow, is that God will never again be provoked to use his weapon, no matter how provocative God's creation becomes. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. To borrow again from Sir Walter, he explains, the God who rules over us has turned toward us in a new way. How is it, he asks, that this move happened? He points to chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah and everyone in the ark. God's remembering, he says, is an act of gracious engagement with his covenant partner of creation. It is the remembering of God, and only that, he says, which gives hope and makes new life possible. Time and again, we remember that times in scripture, when Israel or one of its prophets cry out to Yahweh, wondering if the Lord had forgotten them, or presuming that God has indeed forgotten them. We hear it in the book of Judges, the Psalms, Jeremiah, and Job. Professor Brueggemann refers to Job 14, 13, as above all others, it articulates the conviction that God's memory is the last ground of hope in the realm of death. It is remembering, which changes the situation of the world from hostility and mistrust to one of God's commitment. God was profoundly grieved and been betrayed by those of God's own making for generations. The flood happens, but not to kill everyone, there is going to be another chance. That is grace right there. Then God remembers Noah. And that grace is the farthest possible thing from apathy, from hating, and from being petulant. Never again is the promise. And laying down, or in the sky after a rain, is the bow of promise of non-violence. great and essential for you and me to have some insights into the mind and heart of God, humans though we be. But is there anything else for us in this story? Does the rainbow 
told more. Well, as you heard, and perhaps pictured, the cachette, or bow in the story, refers to a bow of a bow and arrow. It's from archery, the advanced military weapon of that era. Whereas Von Rod kind of qualified it a little, Bible scholar Nahum M. Sarna opines that always the word keshet designates a weapon of war. Living, excuse me, in a vein like what we've already heard, Isaac Viegas wrote of the bow now in our context. Mr. Viegas says the bow in our context is the symbol of divine bellicosity and hostility that has been turned into a token of eternal reconciliation between God and humanity. The rainbow is not just something for God to see and remember the covenant of never again. It's a sign of God's disarmament. The retirement of God's war bow to the sky, an unloaded weapon pointing away from the earth. An unloaded weapon pointing empty away from the earth. You and I enter Lent, a season of reckoning, to contemplate, to meditate on who we are, where we have been, on what we do and who we are becoming. This biblical origin story reckons with violence and the bloodshed. That is the emphasis of the verses preceding what we heard Andre read, preceding the flood. God warns Noah and his descendants against killing any animal or otherwise after the flood, but before today's reading began. For the shedding of blood, God says in verse 5, I will require a record. As Mr. Viegas of Sojourner's Magazine notes, central to these post-Diluvian commandments, post-Diluvian meaning after the flood, central to these post-Diluvian commandments is the prohibition of killing, of spilling blood, because that vital fluid coursing through bodies belongs to God. To drain the God-given life force of creation from a person, some thus interpreted, is an incursion into the domain of divinity. To kill, he said, is a declaration of war against God's reign. An act of rebellion against the creator. And this is the first covenant, I would add. So does this affect how you and I think, or what you or I may do as regards gun violence or other kinds of murder. What do you think of Mr. Viegas's thoughts about this being a covenant modeling for us and encouraging us to have nonviolence ourselves? The rainbow is a sign for God to see and remember as if God needs to remember, but God did remember in chapter 8. The rainbow was a sign for God to see and remember God's heart change toward us despite the grief and betrayal, 
toward us in love and commitment, it's warmed anew. The rainbow is as an empty rainbow, a retired weapon pointed away from our planet. An invitation to a disarmed life with God. That is the covenant offered to humanity when God lays aside the warrior's bow. To live in God's renewed world does not require violence. All we need is the one who has promised to sustain our lives. May we claim the rainbow as a message for our human race to see, to learn from, and be guided by in this world of chaos, violence, and grief, and a world also of outrageous generosity and edifying, stupendous, unheralded selflessness. God bless you for tuning in. That concludes this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. Now, I think that the lectionary is going to have a series of uh, the biblical covenants because I'm pretty sure that next week, as far as the Hebrew scriptures are concerned, we may find ourselves with Abram and Sarai and God's covenant with them. Um, and so I think then with the covenant with Noah and creation today, that was the start of what may be a, a little lectionary series about covenants. I can't promise that I'll be preaching on covenants um, because I just can't say in advance what I'm going to be preaching on, except I do follow the lectionary. And uh, again, I thank you for tuning in. God bless you and God bless your week. Amen.